How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And this is part two coming off of last week's episode. So last week I talked about how growing and evolving in our faith, growing and evolving as human beings, growing and evolving human spirit, growing and evolving just spiritually requires us to do some letting go. And so last week we talked about how growing and evolving will require us to let go of some relationships. Not because when you grow and evolve, you can no longer be connected with people, but because naturally, when you grow and evolve, it is going to affect relationships you had with institutions that you can no longer align with. It's going to affect relationships that you've had with people who see you as going off course and are concerned with you, right? I I gave multiple examples of that. So the first part was growing and evolving requires us to let go of some relationships. And then this week, the part two of that, as we talk about one more thing we have to let go of in order to grow and evolve is this. The second thing we need to let go of in order to grow and evolve is security. Now, before we move forward, I want to be absolutely clear when I talk about this. When I say that in order to grow, we need to let go of our security, I do not mean that as we keep evolving, we become less and less secure. It's actually the opposite. As we grow and wake up more and more, we naturally become more grounded, more secure, and we more organically live from our deepest center. So when I say we need to let go of security to change, what that means is the relinquishing of any false sense of security that helped hold us together in the previous stage or chapter of our life. So when it comes to security, I'm going to say that again, when we let go, what we let go of is a false sense of security that helped hold us together, helped hold that previous stage together before we move forward. See, here's the thing. We have to let go of what we thought was our security in order to feel secure. We have to let go of what used to make us feel at home in order to truly feel at home in ourselves. We have to let go of what we used to hold on to so we can experience the freedom of not needing to hold on to anything. See, the great Ken Wilber writes, transformative spirituality 
authentic spirituality is therefore revolutionary. It does not legitimate the world, it breaks the world. It does not console the world, it shatters it. And it does not render the self content, it renders it undone. Which raises the question from that quote, are you encouraged yet? Because if you're not, let's take it even one step further. Every time you take a giant evolutionary step, each moment you cross over a threshold into a new stage, and any instance where you dare to transcend the previous boundaries of yourself, you die. I mean, we can't really take it any further than that, can we? But every time you grow, a part of you dies. You die to that old self. You die to your old forms of security. You die to that old sense of familiarity. You die to the things that used to bring you comfort. You die to the entire internal structure and system that used to create the needed experience of security in that previous stage of your life. This is why Wilbur also says this. Each time the self identifies with a particular level of consciousness, it experiences the loss of that level as a death, literally as a type of death seizure, because the very life the self is identified with at that level. So whenever you are going to change, you have to prepare to die. And actually, as a side note, when Wilbur says, you know, we experience the loss of a particular stage of our life as a form of death, what he calls a death seizure. This is why people are so defensive about their beliefs. This is why people are so defensive about their politics. This is why people are so defensive about anything that they have believed in or have attached themselves to for a sense of security and for a sense of making sense of who they are. When I'm, when I'm challenging your beliefs, you experience it as I'm actually threatening your life. Because to challenge the beliefs is to actually challenge the very sense of security that they think makes them alive. So that's why people fight so hard over politics. This is why people fight so hard over religious beliefs. This is why people fight so hard about... This is why someone can get so defensive if you challenge their eating lifestyle. Because their sense of self and, and security is so attached to being vegan or not being vegan or being paleo or not or whatever it is you people get so defensive because challenging their beliefs they register it internally as a very threat to their existence and they experience a challenge to their belief system as like that's that's why wilbur says it creates this death seizure so just remember that when you're challenging somebody's belief system they've held for 30 years and they're freaking out and getting angry, yeah, it's because deep in their spirit they think you're there to kill them and they register 
the threat to their beliefs as a death. Here's a, I remember my first, it might have been my first quarter in grad school. So the grad school I went to, Fuller Theological Seminary. Fuller is, you know, what I would call being as open and progressive as possible while still having like an evangelical core. If that means something to you, great. If that means nothing to you, it doesn't even matter. And I remember in that first quarter, in in I think the first, it was the, my morning class. I remember one morning when I was in there, I started like just thinking about where I was at in my faith and where I was going because you know there's kind of an ongoing joke like the quickest way to lose your faith is to get a master's degree in theology and what that really means is all of your conventional beliefs and ways of seeing the Bible and ways of seeing God and ways of understanding Jesus are all going to be radically challenged and upended you know people when they study Genesis and the, the creation story in the ancient Near East, and they and they learn there's multiple creation stories back then in the surrounding cultures of the Israelites who also have snakes in their creation stories, who also have floods in some of their own narratives. And then you learn some of them were even written before the Bible. So how do these stories line up? Is Genesis real? Now I'm in class panicking, freaking out. My mom and dad were right. I'm going to lose my faith. <laughs> Right. That's a common thing people experience in grad school. But I didn't really get that from grad school. I was there because of where I was already going, what I was already reading. I was already changing. There's already paradigm shifts. There's already deconstructing. There's already taking down. There's already the questioning of everything. And at that point, I remember I was reading a book from Jean-Luc Marion called God Without Being. And I'm not even going to attempt to explain what that book is about. But it is a very radical book. You know, what is God if God's not an object? And it's this very complex book. And I remember I just had this little moment of like this internal panic when I was in class where I'm like, you know, where am I at? God without being, where am I going? Like, what do I believe right now? Like, where where am I going to end up in the end of this? Like, where where is this all going to take me? To the point where I actually left class and like had to gather myself. And now, because I think I was just freaking out. Like, remember the pre the things from the previous stage, my beliefs, my ways of seeing things, my internal belief system. That is what gives you a sense of security. That's what makes you feel safe and grounded. So in that moment, it was like I was really coming to terms with how I was letting go of so many of those old things and I was experiencing the ground-shaking reality of all that starts to fall apart and what's coming next. But I do think after a while, I ate some like sour gummy bears and I was like, I think my blood sugar was just low and I was hungry because once I ate those, I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm chilling. Like, and I just kind of kept, you know, reading that book. So I think it was low blood sugar. But here's a thought after that. What feels like a loss in the foundation of your faith is actually the spirit inviting you to the future of your faith. So it feels like you're losing the foundation, but sometimes that's actually the spirit inviting you to let go more, more immature 
experiences of security and he's calling or the spirit's calling you forward into a more mature faith. This is why Wilbur also writes, also remember that belief systems are not merely beliefs. They are the home of the ego and what he calls the home of the self-contraction. So he's saying your belief systems are like a house that your ego and your sort of false self lives in. So when somebody challenges your beliefs, it's like they're tearing down the house that you've lived in and felt comfortable and safe and secure in for so long. But that's also just the housing of the ego that needs to be broken open in order to live into the expansive feel with the spirit. So your beliefs are not just some casual parts of who you are. What Wilbur rightfully claims is that your beliefs are the very house your ego takes a residence in and dwells in for its entire sense of security and safety. Your separate self needs these beliefs because it believes it is these beliefs, right? That's a, just think about that. You are not your beliefs. You, whoever you are, have beliefs, but you are not your beliefs, to lose your beliefs is to lose what you think is yourself, but you discover afterwards isn't. So when someone challenges your beliefs, it feels like they're threatening your home. This is why growing is so scary. This is why we treat change like death. This is why defending our beliefs can feel like we're fighting for our life. But to surrender beliefs that are no longer serving us is like moving out of the house that we used to build our life in only to discover there is a home much bigger waiting for us. Perhaps this is why the great mystic Hafiz said, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better living conditions, or I'd like to see you in better living conditions. When it comes to beliefs, too many people treat their temporary settlements as their permanent housing. Sometimes you discover the beliefs we thought once saved us no longer serve us. The ideas that used to help us eventually become a hindrance to us. The map of reality that was leading us five years ago has become outdated and no longer has the capacity to lead you ahead. Do we lose a sense of security when we let go and grow? Yes, that's why it's hard. But we also discovered that the security we lost was something we never needed to feel safe in the first place. Now, going into the last part. I never believed in the rapture. <clears throat> the idea that at the end of the world, there are going to be catastrophes, violence, wars, and that the people who had faith in Jesus would be beamed up to heaven through some neon blue, which I'm not sure why I would always assume it would be blue, but some neon blue portal as a means of escaping all the suffering just seemed ridiculous to me. The notion that the good news of the universe looked like some weird religious sci-fi movie that somehow had the United States of America at the center of it seemed a bit odd and dangerously ethnocentric, even for the United States. But a lot of people do believe this. And while I was attending a Christian college, that was the dominant view in my school. 
which is why one afternoon when I was about 23 years old and reading by our old apartment pool back in Costa Mesa, like the first apartments we ever had when we got married, me and Christine, I was reading by the pool and then I started to feel sick to my stomach. And in that moment, I was reading a book by Doug Padgett. Shout out to Doug, who's become a friend of mine over the years. And his book is called A Christianity Worth Believing, which is an amazing title because it carries within it the obvious assumption that there are versions of Christianity that are not worth believing. And as I was reading, like I'm reading this book and... It, it was like this future vision of new creation and a healed world and this beautiful idea of heaven and earth becoming one, like I believe the scriptures actually show us, just fully clicked within me. The good news of a God not abandoning the planet during a time of suffering and turmoil, like the rapture kind of leads us to believe, but a God who wipes every tear, ends every injustice, heals all of creation, and recreates the world as a whole, hit me in like all of its weight and beauty and power. And right as it happened, my heart sunk, my stomach started to hurt, and a shockwave of anxiety rippled through my body quickly. Now, why would the most beautiful vision of the universe be followed by a moment of personal fright? See, I, my body knew, my, it's like my body immediately knew my relationships at the school would change. I immediately felt the possibility of being on the fringes of the institution, the edges of the community, and the relational antagonism that might come with me not believing what they believe. I also felt strangely alone and vulnerable. Although I never truly brought into the idea of the rapture or the quote end times as it's commonly understood, making this internal shift to fully disagree with it created this immediate sense of fragility. To move from indifference to an old idea to conviction for the new one made me highly aware of my own contingency and agency in this world. And do you know what happened after this defining moment of seeing the beauty of the future and experiencing the loss in the present? Do you know what happened? Nothing. And by nothing, I mean nothing horrible happened. Sure, one of my professors challenged me to debate him or take him on, as he described it on this issue. Well, I was, to be honest, unprepared and still developing my understanding on it. And sure, at a friend's birthday party, someone who I just met told me they, did, they couldn't believe that on Judgment Day I was going to stand before Jesus and tell him I didn't believe in the rapture. Which, by the way, is a hilarious vision and literally makes no sense at all. And of course, one time I got approached by a pastor at my old church seeking clarification because I wrote on my Facebook status, the rapture is a myth. And yeah, it changed my relationship with some institutions. It meant I couldn't fit or pastor in some of the religious spaces my friend could be a part of. And it created some distance or weirdness with people or some communities. But none of that mattered. 
My vision for the planet was hopeful. My understanding of our sacred task to partner with the spirit to work for healing was empowering. And my freedom to create the future was liberating my imagination in a way not that old vision could never do. See, whenever we are fearful of growing, we have to remember that the only things we lose are our chains. And all we ever let go of are the things that are getting in the way of our freedom. It is always the spirit calling us forward. Even when it puts you at odds with your community, even when it means you believe differently, even when it's challenging conventional beliefs, if when you move forward, your view of reality becomes more inclusive and more complex and more free and more welcoming and there's more room for love and there's more room for everybody if you're moving forward and that and that keeps happening to your vision it is always and only the spirit of god that is calling you forward this is why i love when the great mystic mirabai star writes so there is rejoicing in heaven when god removes the baby clothes from the soul he is setting her down from his arms and making her walk on her own two feet. Sometimes it's scary when the baby clothes of our soul start to be removed, but God is setting us down from his arms and helping us learn how to walk on our own. So celebrate every time you rip another piece of those baby clothes off your soul and walk freely into the future that the spirit is always inviting you further into. What feels like the, a loss in the foundation of your faith is probably the spirit inviting you forward into the future of your faith. 